Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Azuz, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Joe Janney. Joe is the founder of Metric Search. He entered the recruitment industry in 2014 and since then has been on the classic story of working hard and improving year on, year out. Last year, in just the recent financial year, Joe billed 950 grand whilst growing a recruitment business to 60 plus people and generating revenues of over 12 million. In this episode, we really delve deep into how Joe has gone about going from a top performing individual contributor to leading a business, how they've approached expanding their US market, how he's really been dedicated to building a culture of business development and high performance. There's going to be so many takeaways in this conversation for you who may be on the path to wanting to be a top performer and wanting to know how to get there. And for also all of you who are in the trenches right now of growing and building your own recruitment business. Enjoy this week's episode. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Cheers, Hashem. Thanks for having me. Excited. Yeah, looking forward to this. Really enjoyed getting to know you, the business journey that you've been on. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be able to learn a lot from this journey that you're in and that you've been on so far. So I think today we're going to try and cover two sort of aspects. One, Joe's approach to recruitment and how he's maintained his performance levels despite growing a business. Last year was your best year, even though the business was at the yeah. biggest point. So I think people are going to know how, how Joe goes about his business and the things that you live by, your principles. But then two, we're then obviously going to make sure that we talk about this entrepreneurial journey that you've been on. And, you know, you've been building this business metric search over the last four years. So there's going to be loads of stuff that we can learn from you on there. So just to give everyone the career highlight reel. So I'm going to go through this. If there's anything that I've missed, please correct me. I will do. Thank okay. you. So you started recruitment in 2014 with Charlton Morris and then, you know, progress your career there. And then you actually spun out metric search uh, with Charlton Morris in 2019. Correct. But then you sort of outgrown Charlton Morris and you're now the majority shareholder, which was officially done at the start of 2022. Yep. But the business milestones have been starting in 2019. In the first year, you did $1.8 million in revenue. We're doing dollars because Joe does a lot in the, the Amer American market, eight or nine people in the first year. Uh, year two, $5 million, 22 people. Year three, $10 million, 45 to 50 people. And then year four, which you've just finished, finished just under $12.7 million in revenue. And that was 27% growth on last year's revenue. And you also grew the GP by 30% as well. And you're around 60, 62 people. As well as that, you had your best year last year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> doing 950 grand in one year. That was your, your best year whilst growing this business. Yeah, try, <laughs> try not to go red. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to unpack this because I think there's tons that we can learn, but let's start with the million pound question. I'd love to hear your take on what you believe are the common characteristics and traits of a highly successful recruit in, in today's market. Yeah, thank you. And um, thanks for the introduction. Much appreciated. Obviously changed a lot over the last few years. I think for me, the, the key attributes that, that we're looking for and when I think about the top billers here right now, it's coachability is a huge one, wanting to constantly improve yourself and self-development. And the BD skills, and I guess we're going to get onto this later, the BD skills have just come to the front so much this year. So coachability, self-development, and then real hunger and drive to do BD. They're the mm. three things that, for me, make someone a world-class recruiter. 
Love that. Let's just give people a bit more context. And I just want to make sure that we're entirely on the same page here. So yourself, you've always done the life science market. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Always worked in the CDMO space of life science, which is a, a niche sector. But um, yeah, always worked that space myself. And it's always been perm? Always perm. All perm. And then what, when did you start doing it in America? And have, has like the majority of your personal like performance been in America or not? So I think the first two years of my career, I did Europe when I was working at Charlton Morris in Leeds. I think the 300k first year and then 525 pounds year two. And then I asked them to move to the US and be their general manager, which they supported me to do. And from there, we kind of built like a little New York incubator team. I think four of us went out originally and we were working the US market from Leeds 2018 and then moved over there then. So, 2019, which is then when we started Metric Search, right? Correct. Yeah. So, been doing the US market since then. Okay. So, okay, cool. So, since then, you've solely been in the American market. Correct. And then, is that what uh, the large chunk of your team in the UK do, the US market? Yeah. So, so in Metric, 85% of our revenue is in the US, and that's across wow. our offices in London, Nottingham, and then obviously uh, New York and Florida. So, we're very, very US heavy. Yeah. Okay, cool. That I'm glad I understood that then. And then obviously, final bit, you obviously your track record is life sciences, but then you also part have a literally 50-50, which you were telling me yesterday is also then engineering, right? Correct. The, yeah. Engineering yeah. and infrastructure is, is again, 50% of our revenue now, which is an area I don't know loads about, but we hired some great people who know those markets inside out and they're very similar fee size wise to life science and process wise, but just completely different functions. Okay, let's just start with like the recruitment stuff. And then let's go into like Joe, the business owner, because I'm sure that's continued to evolve. Like I've got an up to date view of like what your org chart looks like and what your day to day role looks like now. But like you wouldn't have got to this point without being great at recruitment. And obviously, you're still very much performing now. So why don't we just start because I know this is something that you really drove in your business. And I think something that you believe is one of the main reasons why you was able to grow or continue to grow in, in the fourth year because you doubled down on building this sales culture, this business development culture. So I'd love to just hear your take, you know, with where uh, you are now, because I'm sure this has evolved over time. What would you say are like, how can a perm recruiter become world-class at business development? Let's just start there. Like what are the, the core principles to becoming world-class at, at business development? Good question. And I guess that's the one that, that everyone's asking themselves at the minute, right? Now the fish aren't jumping in the boat as much. Like you have to go out and hunt for this business. So so for me, you've got to want to do it, first of all, right? You've got to want to pick up the phone. You've got to want to send those emails. And again, a part of business development that goes under under the radar is actually getting the clients on the phone and that's got a lot harder so i think nowadays you've got to have a great personal brand there's a lot of people i see posting on linkedin and it's something we're working on here at metric but making those cold calls slightly warm for me is massive now when they're seeing you content you're engaging with them on linkedin and socials that is at least going to help you get your foot in the door obviously when you get on the phone with them impressing them is a completely different matter but for me it's being candidate led and it's not being afraid of that and having a great candidate to get in front of the it's got so competitive recently right that these recruiters are talking to clients all the time like you've got to have a good candidate to back up what you're saying it's all well and good me going on the call and saying look i'm the number one recruiter in the cdmo space this is my track record generally they just want to see a great candidate they want to see a solution so it's very basic i did a training session internally with that metric very recently which has gone down really well where i was like look if we're not getting anywhere we're not getting them on the phone we're not getting calls booked in like let's go with the candidate approach it works we've got great people who are going to add value to these businesses whether that's life science or whether that's engineering if they're going to make you 50 million more revenue a year or they're going to save you 50 million a year we need to be calling them and pitching those candidates in. And again, that's old school, right? But that is a massive factor for me in BD. Probably more importantly now, again, really basic, but just actually doing what you say you're going to do. So we'll get on a client call and I'll say, look, I'm going to have you a shortlist within three days. They're all going to be relevant candidates. And I encourage the consultants here to put themselves under a bit of pressure. Say you're going to have a shortlist in three days and make sure you've got one. And that's how you set yourself aside from everyone else who's calling and pitching these clients at the minute. So probably two really basic fundamentals. But for me, 
they work, they're tried, they're tested, they're never going to get, a client's never going to get bored of seeing a world-class resume that's going to add 50 million to their business, but make sure they have to see it, right? Mm. So let's just break down that first bit, if, if you don't mind, because yeah. I think this is something that I used to do, we all do, but I think it's about what you're talking about here is doing it consistently and doing it really well. What I picked up on there is you're saying, you know, it's candidate led, but you're then leading with what problems that candidate can solve for the client, right? So that, that's something I picked up on now. I don't think everyone will be doing that. You know, this person's got this skill, Joe, so you need to be, you know, interviewing them. But you're saying, hey, I've got this person and they can, you know, you told me about this about your business or they could save you this or help you earn more money. That's definitely something that not everyone will be doing. So, you know, especially if you've done a training session on this recently, Give us some details, like what does good look like? What does a good candidate-led approach look like? You know, are we calling and what are we saying about this candidate? Are we emailing them? What are we putting in the email? Like, give us some of those, because I think that that's what people are going to want to know and hear how people approach that. Yeah, and I, and I guess I'll use life science as a, an example, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is closer to me. So at the minute, life science market's tough, right? I'm sure you've had plenty of people come on the podcast tell you how hard life science recruitment is right now. So when the market gets tough, what do people need? They need good salespeople. So you get the BD directors, right? You get the best ones in the market. Ideally, we're getting on the phone with the client and pitching them in, right? So I'm, I'm calling them saying, look, three of your competitors are interviewing this BD candidate, the best person on the market. They're the number one person in California. The revenue they've done in the last three years is 10 million, 20 million, 30 million. Can you really afford to let them join your biggest competitor? Surely it's worth you speaking to them. I don't understand how anyone would ever say no to that, right? <laughs> I mean, say, so look, they're interviewing me three biggest competitors. They want to join you. They're actively looking. They're going to be gone in two weeks. Like, at least have a chat with them. And that's your door opener. So mm-hmm. first ideal situation is you call the chief commercial officer or CEO and say, this is what we have. That's the pitch, what you just said. So if I say, if I call you and I've got that candidate, I'm going, hey, Joe, look, working with this person at the moment, they're actually interviewing at your three best competitors, this is their track record. Do you think you can afford not to see them or for them to join your competitors? Is that what we're opening up with? Basically, yeah. It's a bit aggressive, but but that is basically it. You name the companies, you tell them who we work with currently, who are also their competitors. And it's like, you need to be working with us as well. And that's the same on the life science side and the engineering side as well, right? The demand for talent is great in both of those spaces. So that's the approach. And then again, if you can't if you can't get them on the phone, it's a version of that via email. So look, I tried to call you about this earlier. This is what we've got. Can we have a quick chat to discuss? Like there's nothing to lose. You don't have to pay to speak to this candidate. And this approach is something that we've we adopted this year, right? Don't get me wrong. The year we year three for us, when we went from five mil to 10 mil, we didn't need to do this. Mm. But this year, when we've gone from 10 mil to 12 and a half mil, that aggressive approach and more proactive approach is what has allowed us to grow 27% this year. Yeah. Yeah. So just, I know you're getting granular here, but this is what's helpful for people. So just, so on the email, like you trying to say it the same way, or you just like super, like just bullet points. Hey Joe, work with this person at the moment. They're interviewing your competitors. Is it a bad idea for you to also meet them rather than them join your competitors? Like, is it just, is it very similar to what you say on, on email then? Yeah, but with more details. So then via email, you can put a bit more, right? So you're selling the, the products or services they're selling, the revenue they've generated and where they are in the, the territory they're working. And generally in life science, like if you've got someone in Boston or California, like that candidate's gold dust. So people are going to want to speak to him. It's hard to get good people in Boston. It's hard to get good people in California. So it's yeah. a version of that with a little bit more detail around the products and services. And, and obviously, right, this I'm talking about, you have to be sending a good candidate. If you ring them up and if, if you ring them up and be like, I've got this person, they're amazing, they're doing 50 mil, like they're working for a direct competitor. And then you send someone over who's just completely irrelevant or not good. They're going to be like, well, what are you doing? And it's almost like this approach is you putting your neck on the line. And I, sometimes I will, I will say this still myself, like, look, trust me on this one. If this one's not good, then then you don't have to work with me ever again. But if they're good, then we'll, we'll start a partnership. So again, when I say it starts with a good candidate, it does, but they're out there and you can find them and you build relationships with them. And, and for me, this is just like recruitment 101, right? Like this stuff yeah. will never get old. Yeah, no, yeah, fair, fair enough. No, absolutely. So, and then just technical one, because I think people will be interested. What have you found to be the most effective tool getting numbers in the American market for you guys? Have you invested anything that helps you get numbers? Because that's going to be key to this approach. You zoom, need data. Zoom, in, zoom info. Yeah, because that's pretty spendy, in it? But like yeah. I've heard that's consistent for the US market. 
Because you need yeah. numbers, otherwise you're not going to be able to do this or, yeah. and drive that. Yeah, it's, it's Zoom Info is the one for me. Yeah. Like we've, I've trialed a few, looked at a few others. Like Zoom Info is the best. For the American market yeah. you found. Well, yeah. obviously that's mainly what yeah. you do. Okay. You, might get, you might get them to sponsor the podcast now. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I know they do a lot in, uh, for, in the recruitment industry. So, okay, cool. So that's been fundamental. Like, I appreciate you sharing that. I guess I was going to say to you, like, where did... It's, this is recruitment 101 but where do people always go wrong with this and it sounds like doing that approach with a average candidate like you have to have a really high standard it seems on because like that's your rep you're building your reputation there so you could ruin that reputation or you know build it a very quick one before we get back to the conversation i wanted to talk to you all about one of our podcast sponsors one up sales so let's just talk about the crucial aspect of any successful recruitment business, data visibility and accountability. Are your consultants reaching their targets? Where can they improve? You need clear, comprehensive and timely data to answer these questions. That's where OneUp Sales comes in. Their cutting edge sales performance management platform provides you with real time data visibility, helping you track performance at a glance. OneUp Sales doesn't just show you the numbers, it tells you the story behind them. This increased transparency not only enables you to take more informed decisions, but it also fosters a sense of accountability among your consultants. With clear visibility, they can take ownership of their performance, learn from their mistakes, and continue to strive to improve. So turn your data into an accountability tool, connect your CRM with OneUp Sales, and always be in the know. Because you listen to this podcast, you're able to get your hands on an exclusive offer for OneUp Sales, which is a 10% discount on the user price. So if you haven't already, check out how OneUp Sales can enable you to hold people accountable, have way more visibility in your data. It's well worth checking out. Now let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, the, the candidate's got to be good. And I guess where I guess where people go wrong with this is just people don't don't want to try and do that because it's hard and it is a little bit forward and i guess some of the recruiters who started when the life science market in particular was booming they never really needed to do it so you could kind of get you could do fees just via email at that point where you're just sending yeah. a series and they're getting hired but um, i guess it's getting out your comfort zone and the reason it falls down is people didn't need to do it and now they do so it's a uh, but i didn't used to do this and i built 300k last year i didn't i didn't i've been doing fine without doing this and it's like yeah yeah you have but we want you to be doing five, 600K billions a year and this is how you get there and this is how you take it to the next level. So I guess it's just overcoming it potentially being awkward or them potentially saying, why would I want to interview someone who all my competitors are speaking to, which they could say. Mm. But it's like anything, right? Any sales job, like you're going to get no's and you're going to get awkwardness. But everyone, I can honestly say everyone who's adopted it here at Metric has had like immediate results from it. So we'll, again, it's something else we'll be like doubling down on this year and, and moving forward. And then just curious then, from a management perspective, leader perspective, how do you quality control that process? Because, you know, we all hear our recruiters, they just, you could quite easily just have loads of people just pitching rubbish at people. And that's, you know, one of the quickest ways to ruin your reputation. So how, how do you quality control that process? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, that's where it, that's where it falls down, right? If the quality's not mm -hmm. there. I mean, we've got 17 managers who most of, the, like our average biller here does 400K as, as I guess, as we mm -hmm. talked about today. So the managers are all five, 600K billers. They are not going to let their reputations get ruined by someone going and pitching mm -hmm. the wrong candidate to the wrong client. So they are on top of that and everyone's, and I am saying to them when I do this training, I'm like, this has got to be your best candidate. Like this is your number one. Right. You do this for, yeah. for the best person. This isn't a, oh, I'll try force an interview with someone who's a five out of 10. This is like, this mm. is for you 10 out of 10 candidates. So the managers quality control that and, and everyone is generally invested in making Metric a very successful brand in both our markets we work in. So I guess that's how we've quality controlled it and touch wood, we've not had any issues with that so far. And then, and then just on the flip side, I know we're focusing on this, but like this, like you said this first, because it's clearly having an impact and, and a positive one. Yeah. So what's the pitch on the flip side? So if I'm a candidate of yours, I know I'm shit hot. I know that I can add a lot of value. Like, why am I going to give you 
the opportunity to sell me and pitch me into these companies. Why am I going to trust you to do that? That's my reputation. What On the flip side, what does that look like? Because you have to also be good at that. Not only get these people and have these people, but they have to trust you that Joe is going to call these people, people in their industry that they obviously no doubt want to have a good reputation with to pitch me in. So what does that look like on the flip side? So I guess, first of all, they've got to be looking, right? Like, again, you can't be doing this with someone who's not looking for a new job because you're wasting their time and your time. But again, firstly, you make sure they're looking. And then thankfully, metric, we've got a track record where we work with some amazing clients. We work with great startups. We work with market-leading pharma companies. We've got blue chips. So we can talk them through the clients we're already working with. So they're already going to those. So we're already getting them valuable interviews with with household names in these markets. So they're bought into us anyway. And then from there, we're like, look, we're going to try open a couple more doors for you. The criteria of your search is X, Y, Z. This company might be perfect for you as well. So I'm going to get you in with them. That's it, really. It's Again, it's recruitment's all about credibility, right? And if you've got good clients and you've got good candidates, which which we have and everyone has, it's about making that work for you. And if you're going to speak to these clients and say, look, these are our top five clients in the pharma space from last year, they're going to be impressed by that. And we're going to get them introduced to them. And then you say, look, we're going to get you a couple more as well. And then, and again, why would you say no to that? So we're going to get mm. you in with five great companies. I'm going to try to find five more. Like no one's going to say no to that if they're actually looking for a job. Nice. So let's build on this then. You had your best year last year and you shared with me that in order for you to do that 950, 90% of it was retained. Yeah. And it was of 11 clients and the average deal size was around 40, 50. Yeah. So when I sort of ask you like what you think your colleagues would say you're world-class at, one is obviously the client side, but also then you spoke about long-term agreements, increasing the lifetime value of the clients that you work with, how much money they spend with you, you know, taking people that do one or two searches with you to be doing four, five, 10 and more. Talk to us about Again, same question, I guess, but with that in mind, what are Joe's principles when it comes to increasing the client spend? Like, you know, building long-term agreements where these companies are spending half a million with you rather than 100 grand. Yeah, and this is something that I developed since moving to Metric. When I first started in recruitment, I was really short-term and thinking short-term and thinking high-fee percentage. When I founded Metric, I was like, this is going to be a business built on partnerships and long-term relationships and, and I'm pleased to say like a lot of our top I think all of our top clients have been with us pretty much since the start so look everything starts with delivering a great service there's there's nothing you can get away with that and I say just actually delivering what you say you're going to do is number one if you don't do that you're not getting past deal number one never mind deal number 50 so mm. doing what you're saying you're going to do delivering candidates fast and with detail is key but where I have been really good in in terms of developing these longer term relationships it's i am quite open with them and say look and again i don't mind showing this with you so like a lot of these relationships we start working at 25 percent, and i say look why don't you just give me all of your roles director and above we'll still do them retained but i'll reduce the upfront retainer payment and we'll just do them at 20 percent. and you're going to get the world-class service from me that you've been getting at 25 percent. i'll do it at 20 but i want all your roles for it again they're looking at that thinking right well i'm going to save I'm going to save big money here. And, and that's what I've done with probably our top clients. And that's enabled us to double what we've been doing with them year on year. So that, again, seems quite basic. But I'll go meet him and say, look, I've got an idea. It's going to save you money. It's going to enable us to work together more. And then I'll just reduce the fee percentage. But say, look, it's got to stay retained. If you want to work with me, because I'm strapped for time, running four offices and 60 people, so it's got to be retained. And that's how we've done it. It's, again, really straightforward. Like, you lower the fee percentage over time and ask, ask for all the roles. And, and again, like one of, one of my principles is, like, every time I speak to a client, I ask them for more roles. And that, again, just sounds so basic. But, but it's I think, actually asking. Yeah, you've got to ask every time. And, like, I want them to say to me, Joe, like, you ask me this every time. Like, I'll let you know when they're coming. Then I'm like, right, good. At least they know I'm available mm-hmm. to work on them. And that's what I'm trying to drill into everyone at Metric, just be like, let them know you want the roles. Let them know you're enthusiastic about the roles. Let them know that you want to fill them and you've got time to fill them. And people want to work with enthusiastic recruiters who like working with them. So saying, hey, I love working with you. Can Anything else we can work on? This role's in a great position. Can you give me something else? And then all of a sudden you've got 10 roles and then you talk about lowering the fee percentage. And again, that 
I feel like a lot of the stuff I'm telling you is really basic and really straightforward. And Yeah, but it's good to hear that, though, because we can overcomplicate things. And you can hear the same thing over and over again. doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. You take it on. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I was, gonna, I was thinking, from your experience, when is, like, the perfect time to ask that? Is it, like, as soon as you've done that first placement where you've, you've shown what you can deliver... The first question you're asking after they've started or whatever, you're like, hey, as you can see, did a great job here. What else can we do? Like, wh- when have you found to be the perfect time to ask it? Honestly, when you've got an offer out, when they've made the offer to the candidate. Okay, nice. Like, I, again, things can go wrong. We all know that. Yeah. Not everything gets accepted. I'll be like, look, this is in a good place. Candidate's probably going to accept. Whilst you guys are closing this out and we're closing it out, let's get started on something else. Mm. So I would do it yeah. just before. Like when the offer's out. When the offer's out, yeah. They're feeling in a good mood. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Everyone's a Friday. <laughs> it's a Friday. The offer's out. It's going to get accepted. Hey, anything else we can go for? <laughs> has that been, so that approach then, has that been, because um, have you like try, managed to cultivate quite a lot of cross-selling or people doing that and then pulling roles in other niches in the life science team or is that how that's worked? Or Generally, yeah, generally. And, and like I say, once you've done a good job on something and you've got an offer out, of course they're going to give you the next role and that's how again that's how you get big accounts and you keep working with them and you're not having to do loads of bd constantly bringing on new clients because if you get new roles and new functions and and one of the best things about metric is that it is really collaborative and i know everyone probably comes on the podcast and says this but touch wood again we don't have arguments over split fees and there's no like that's my client this that's my client it's very much everyone's working together and like you say if everyone has that approach and everyone pulls roles and you cross sell and you say hey can you help this is probably better for you but and again this will get harder as we go over 100 people like we're only 62 right now and hopefully people will listen to this and and keep doing it but that's been great for us and i think that makes the culture what it is that hopefully everyone's got roles to work on that have been passed by someone else and i feel quite passionately that that we keep that in place curious if i'm someone that wants to consistently build 400 500 grand i'm earning really good money like they're my aspirations i might think you know what if I get to that point, why can't I do a million? But if we're saying like we want to get to 400, 500 grand, how many clients do you reckon I need? Four, 500 grand? Probably depends which market. I reckon you can do that with five. I reckon you could do four and you okay with five clients. Five clients. Yeah, it's just interesting to hear because I think, again, this is something we're talking about getting the most out of the relationships that you have. Often people think the only way I'm going to get there is by adding another 20 clients, but it's not necessarily the case. Well, it's just so much harder, isn't it? It's so much harder to go and find a new client, sort terms with them. Then you have to see if they're actually going to be serious about hiring people. By the time you've done all of that, like you probably could have filled two other roles with someone who is who is a serious client, who's, who's making offers, who's moving fast, who wants their best talent. Mm. So yeah, I think five, five good clients, you'll, you'll do four or 500k. So I want to definitely get your perspective on on the US, like your experience in building this business in, in the US and doing a lot there. But just very quickly, I think people are going to, uh, you know, be dying to know 950, running a business, wh- like how do you manage your time? You surely must be pretty, like really disciplined with what you say no to, what you say yes to. How have you structured your day to make sure that <laughs> to perform at that level, whilst also managing your managers, leading by the front, all the other stuff that comes with running a business. So like, talk us through what does a normal day for you look like? What are the non-negotiables? Yeah, good question. So like, I will try, now I'm back in, in the UK, I will try get all my like admin and management When did you stuff. come back, sorry to buy when did you come back to the UK? End of 2021. Oh, okay, cool. Right, okay. So yeah, so let's talk about from the UK then. I'll, I'll be interested. Yeah, so for, I guess from the UK, like all my admin management stuff in the morning like meetings in the morning then as soon as it gets to one well as soon as it gets to 12 like on the phone with the us doing that but again and this is i don't know how popular or not this is to say but like i just work 24 7 like i'm at home i'll be working (laughs) i'll be available 24 7 i went to marbella last week and my missus was like are you actually gonna have some holiday i'm trying to interview people i'm trying to sell two retainers on holiday Mm. so again like not i don't expect everyone to to want to do that or to try and do that but again 
I will make decisions fast. And as soon as something high priority comes into my inbox or comes across my desk, I'll deal with it straight away. And that allows me to do that. And then being ruthless from a billing perspective with clients that you're working with. And that's why I'll say, look, if you want my time, it has to be retained now because, mm. because I'm really busy. If you don't want to wear retained, that's fine. I'll give it to someone on the team. No, no drama because someone else can fill it. And that's helped. And again, like having repeat business has, has been good. And, and me transitioning from being the top biller at Charlton Morris to being the managing director of metric was like stop one on Friday, start one on Monday and picked up with all my new, all my clients. So there's never been that break for me. Mm. Like I've just consistently built from when I started in 2014, like all the way to now. So I'm just in a routine and good habits with it. And I'm ready to use my clients. It's n- I've never had that period where it's like, right, I've got to build everything back up again here. Cause mm because of the nature of the way we spun the business out, so, which is how we did 1.8 year one, because it was just like continuation. Yeah. So when you were talking about Charles Morris, give us your day plan, bro. What, what did that look like? It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago now. Surely there must be some structure in there besides like just being committed to like doing whatever comes in, taking action. Was you like, right, I'm always going to make sure I always have two hours of BD at this point. Like you might not. I'm just, just curious of like, how you prioritize your time. We'll get right back into the conversation in a moment. But before we do, I wanted to tell you about one of our longtime podcast partners, Vincere. So ask yourself this, is your team feeling the effects of manual data entry and outdated processes? Relegate repetitive and monotonous tasks to Vincere, your all-in-one recruitment operating system. Imagine a few extra hands helping you sift through the busy work day in, day out. That's the benefit of Vincere's automation tools and features. From interview scheduling, automated templates, CV formatting, reporting, and more. You're going to reduce error rates, streamline compliance, and accelerate return on investment. It works like magic. And the best part, you keep morale high and productivity goes through the roof. Today's episode is kindly sponsored by Vincere, the top-rated recruitment software by TrustRadius in 2023. You get an exclusive offer for listening to this podcast, which is 10% off the user price. Reach out to the team and arrange a quick demo or use a link in the show notes to book an exploratory call and get your hands on that exclusive offer and start using great tools within their all-in-one platform like automation. Genuinely, I've never been a massive structure person and I've never okay. been massively like I used to write a day plan and then it would just go straight out the window <laughs> like it's always just been focused on on numbers for me and I'll be like I have to do 16 interviews I range 16 first stage interviews every month and I'll be like I need to do minimum so my golden rule at metric and everyone's probably bored to death of me saying this is like you have to have 100k of pipeline on your business sheet at all times like that's the minimum why because how you, you're never going to do 100k a month if you don't have 100k on your pipeline. But generally, if you've got 100k, worst case, you're going to do 30. Right. So my principles, you say, how do I manage my time? Like, I'll just make sure I've got 200, 200k on my business sheet at all times. And I'll do whatever I need to do to get that. Rather, so what, so what, what does a business sheet mean? Like, what, what, does that, what does that mean? As in, like... Pipeline. What would you deem as pipeline? Second stage interviews and onwards for okay. for serious roles. So have at least 100, so for your team, minimum 100 grand worth of potential fees that are at second stage or more. Yeah, minimum. Minimum. Like we really celebrate people doing 100K month here. Like that's a big achievement at Metric. If you do 100K month, you make 40K commission, right? So that's mm. like, that's I want, I'm, yeah, the commission is good and, and, and it's high reward and, so I'm trying to teach everyone how to do 100k a month as frequently as possible. And so, what's your equation? Then you said 16 first, so like because I think that's what would be interested people. I get what you're saying. It's like yeah. I know my numbers. I know the key metrics that I need to do. So it's more about like knowing those and then doing whatever you can to get to those because it should lead to X outcome. Correct. So you said 16 first stage interviews. What are the yeah. other like numbers on your like golden dashboards that would be on there? Yeah, yeah. So. It's- so 16 first stage interviews is mm. is like absolutely key. Five vacancies, otherwise you, you never get in 
16 mm. send-outs or 16 interviews arranged. And generally, that for me, that is it. And then 100K on mm. your pipeline. It's really simple. It's not... I'm not saying to people, you have to send 50 CVs or I'm not saying you have to make 100 calls. I'm saying, look, just hit your 16, just hit your 16 send outs and have 100K on your pipeline. You're fine. I say send outs, send outs as interviews, but yeah. So 16 it. first stage interviews, hmm. probably with five, you want at least that with across five different clients that yeah. should equal healthy pipeline, 100K months. And for me, it's that simple and, and the stats show at metric if you hit in 16 first stage interviews consistently over a two to three month period you will do 100k revenue month in the in the months following mm. what are your like key performance metrics in terms of like what do you work to on like interview to placement ratio like those sorts of things i'm sure you're on that then if, if that's how you think that what do you always want those to be around or what are you aiming for those to always be around it changes so much and and to be honest like we don't track that massively because at the minute with the brands all being under metric life science and engineering is oh, slightly different, different. they're slightly enough. different in that sense so generally yeah. one in three candidates will get an offer who are interviewing on the engineering side in life science, it's probably more like one in 12 get an offer. The engineering side is more candidate-driven than life science at the minute. But as I guess as we touched on, like when we split the brands into two brands in the future, like I'll look at that a little bit more, to be honest. because mm. they're, they're, And again, this is why we're doing it, because they are slightly different in terms of the approach needed. You kind of have the exact same expectations and different approach. Yeah, it's not one size fits all. Yeah. yeah. Just curious on a couple of the US things then. How have you, I think definitely leaders will be thinking just firstly, there's there's a lot of people here, a lot of them in the UK, because correct me if I'm wrong, you've got someone starting on the ground in Florida, you said, right? To me. Correct. Yeah. Someone moving from New York to open Florida. Yeah. And then you've got your New York office. Yep. So how have you approached the, like doing the US market from the UK? Like what are the hours firstly? How have you approached that? Yeah. So it's interesting because we did this in reverse. So because I launched the business in New York, obviously I'm English, but mm. then as being there first gave us a massive advantage because we're already there. We're a US business. We're a metric mm. Inc. before we were a metric limit. So that's been huge. But in the UK, they work UK hours. So what does that mean? I think they do 8.30 till 6. Really? Yeah, yeah. So you and don't do the like, 10, like 11 to 7 or something like that? No, I wish we did, but it's probably too late to change it now. Really? Fair. But no, it's fine. It's not been a problem. And everyone else I know who works the US market from the UK works those hours. But are, are the expectations, though, if you have important shit come in at eight, nine o'clock, they're probably going to do it? Is, is that the expectation? Yeah, like certainly. But why would you, why would you <laughs> not, right? The, co- <laughs> the, co- the commission goes up to 60% mm. Yeah, and that is the expectation. But for me, I would always rather work the US market than the UK market because it's bigger fees, it's faster turnaround. You get way more respect from TA, you get way more respect from the candidates. The UK is tough now when the fee percentages are low. So, mm. and and I will tell them this that that the US market is is the place to be at the minute, whether you're in the UK or the US. But yeah, they still work UK hours, but but that is the expectation. So I know sometimes but business owners I've spoken to have like been a bit worried about that, I'm not sure. But you think clearly it's it's you're clearly capable to do what you need to do in those hours. But yeah. there's probably gonna be the expectation to be, but as you know, stuff will be happening late in the evening and you will likely have to do things out of half eight to six. Of course, yeah. And look, not everyone wants to do that and that's fine. But then recruitment at metric probably just isn't the job for isn't you. Fear. And that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So curious to get your thoughts then. If Joe was to start the US market from scratch, first 90 days, what would they look like for you? Now, everything that you know, how would you approach the first 90 days of building? Let's say you didn't spun out of, you know, Charlton Morris, mm-hmm. you're out of covenants, you're ready to go. First 90 days, what are we doing? that you think is going to give you the, the quickest route to traction? Cool. Am I in Nottingham or am I in New York? <laughs> <laughs> Are you, whatever. It could be. Either. I'd say let, let's, do, let's do UK. UK. So first thing I'm doing is LinkedIn post, right? Mm. I'm moving over to New York. So excited to set this business up. Mm-hmm. Please give me all your, all your New York recommendations. Yeah, that's, nice. a, that's the first thing I'm doing and saying then you're getting the best pizza spot, best steakhouse, what, mm-hmm. very easy. So that's going to run in the background. 
then I'm going and calling and messaging and emailing every single person I've ever worked with or ever met or ever talked to and saying, hey, exciting news, guess who's moving to New York? Mm-hmm. Can we have a call ahead of me moving over? I'm really excited to hit the ground running. We've always had a great working relationship. Let's have a chat. And I'm just mm-hmm. filling my diary for 90 days with calls of candidates, of clients, and then anyone I've worked with in Europe is saying, hey, look, good news. I know you'll support me. I'm moving to New York. Really exciting move for me and my family. Can you put me in touch with your US counterparts? And I'm just speaking to you. Every, and I'm letting every manager's dog know for 90 days that I'm coming to New York to set up. And it's, that's, all, that's all I'm going to do for 90 days. And I'm going to get vacancies and I'm going to get send outs and I'm going from there. And again, it sounds really basic, but, and I found this myself personally, do you know when I actually did move to New York, I can't believe how helpful everyone was. All my clients, mm-hmm. all my candidates, they just wanted to support. They were like, I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited for you. This is a massive move. I was only 25 when I moved out there, right? And they couldn't have been any more supportive and they recommended me to other clients and they're like hey this guy joe's come in he's good he's done a great job for us i'm gonna put you in touch with some of my other c-level contacts and then it really just snowballed from there so if you've got good genuine relationships even if they're not people in the u.s like they'll introduce you to people in the u.s and americans they want to help they love people they love entrepreneurs they love people setting up their own businesses like they want them to do well Probably more than I find oh, yeah, British I've people. Heard that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, well, British people are great at building people up and then when they're too successful, they will just want to see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, yeah, they think you're getting too big for your boots. But in the US, yeah. there's none of that. They want, they want you to succeed. And, that is, yeah. and I love that and love working with them. And if I was to start this again, that's what I'd do. I'd just, and if I was what, a, what yeah. states would you pick to focus on? Good question. So New York... It's probably my favorite city in the US. Like, I love it. Love to live in there. It's probably the hardest place to, like, scale a business in the US. It's Why? Expensive. It's expensive. And the markets that we do aren't really New York markets, to be totally honest with you. Like, life is more finance and business services in New York, right? It's less. There's obviously mm-hmm. a bit of construction. But if I was to pick states, I'd pick Florida. Obviously, we've just picked it. I'd pick Texas. We're looking at doing California, and we're going to open that in the next two years. We did 80 placements in California and like close to 2 million revenue there last year. So there's a business case for us to be mm. in California. But I'd probably be looking at Austin. I'd be looking at Miami. We're going to Fort Lauderdale. I think that's where I would be looking, just given the migration of people from the major hubs south. So I think that's probably, if I was to start again that's where i'd go if you was doing it in the uk how often would you try and get over to the us because i feel like whenever i've spoken to people they've seen real it's like been really positive for them to have people on the ground and they've seen like great things from that but yeah i I spoke to quite a few people that have made sure that they've gone over there maybe once a quarter i don't know how would you approach that would you try and go over there consistently do you think that's important yeah i'd say if you were the business owner you want to be over there quarterly if you're if you're a recruitment consultant you want to be at minimum one conference in your market over there ideally two but obviously people want to see your roi on that but yeah of course that's super interesting okay thanks for sharing all of that i know yeah. like i'm sure you i'm sure you've recognized that more and more uk firms are going into the us wanting to do more like that way more of that has happened over the last two years 100 percent. and and for me the key is gotta have something over there or someone over there and a incorporated business otherwise you're just the same as everyone else mm-hmm. trying to recruit the us from the uk and like you need us phone numbers and us bank account and like it's a little bit more complex than just right i'm gonna start pitching mm. the us now so i think that's good but i just say like you've got to get someone over there get an office over there even if it's just one person that's how i would do it so let's sort of segue into Joe, the business owner then. I think, why don't we start with, because I think I shared with you, this is something that's come up more and more with founders that I spoke to over the last couple of months. It's something that we spoke a lot about at our live podcast event in London. But you shared the, you know, the average billings for the people that had a target was 400 grand in, in the last financial year. That's really impressive. So I felt like what you shared with me yesterday when we prepared for this was, I wrote down you just really double down on being unapologetically like what you guys are. You double down on this is a sales job. What's fundamental in our culture is that we all do business development 
And that's something that we all want to commit to becoming really great at, you know, doubling down on work ethic, doubling down on putting in the hours. And that's something that you've really leaned into as a new thing, you know, is, is one of the core things around the net positive of being you've grown your gross profit and you've grown your revenue. Whereas I think a lot of people, I know it's not the entire year, but it's a large chunk of this year compared to last year. But most people I've you know spoken to are describing last year, probably not going to get close to that this year is, is what a lot of people said because of the way that you describe the market. A lot of people experience that. Yeah. Just talk to us a bit about what that looks like. Just being yourselves. Like, what, what does that look like? What were the things that you were really driving? What did that sound like in your office? What was you saying to people? Because I think it'd be good you know, for you to share that and for people to maybe take inspiration or, or hear that. Yeah, definitely. So, there's, I mean, there's loads I could talk about with this, but I guess to... For me, like one of the key things is leading from the front, right? And when people are coming to me, it's so about year September to September. So they're coming to me in September saying, life science market is dead. Like I'm not going to be able to do anything in life science this year. And I thought, right, well, I'm going to have to do something about this. So I personally built 358K Q1 in life science. So that was the first thing I did was like, right, I'm going to show everyone that the market's possible to score fees in. So what was your response though? When you have people saying, I'm reading the news, I'm on LinkedIn, it's got, it's dead, like I've got these clients that said that, like what is your response to that? Because people listen to this, they would have people saying, Joe, like it's done, mate. Like last year, that was it. That was the best year in recruitment. It's not happening again. Like what, what's your initial response when someone says that to you? A real quick one from me and we'll get straight back into the conversation. Some of you may or may not be aware that I'm also the founder of a business called Hector. Hector is an all-in-one training platform for recruitment founders to maximize team performance. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because if you are someone that is enjoying this podcast week after week, you might even share this podcast with your colleagues, then I'd love to connect with you. Our training platform is powered by top performers delivering practical training for today's market. We believe training a lot of the time in the recruitment industry is dated, is stale, is delivered by people that did it 5, 10, 15 years ago. And we are completely going against that. So a lot of the people that you're able to learn on this podcast, you're able to learn even more from at Hector. So if you'd love to you know, find out more about how we could potentially help you get more out of your people, ramp up their performance more quickly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn or click the link in the show notes where you'll be able to book a call with us. Let's get straight back into the episode. Yeah, probably three things. I guess the first one is, of course, it's hard. That's why they're paying you a 40K fee to do this search. Mm-hmm. Point two is, it's not dead. This is just how it always was pre-pandemic. And I truly believe that recruitment's always been hard. And any job where you're making like 100K plus a year, of course, it's hard. So mm-hmm. it's always been hard. And it's, and I'll say it's not, the market's not done. It's just back to normal. And then three, I'll say, well, look at my billings. I say, I've built 358K in Q1. So it's not dead. And again, like people might... <laughs> Sounds a bit arrogant to say, but it's reality. And, and it's not just me, it's the other directors as well who both build over 500K this year. It's a real effort from everyone to lead from the front and be like, look, I'm showing you it's possible here. It's, it's easy for me to sit there and say, this is how it always is. It's always hard. Or yeah, they're going to pay you a big fee. But then if I'm not doing it and proving it mm. and leading from the front and they're not hearing me on the phone then it's all, it's just like, yeah, well, it's all well and good you saying that, but you're not it's doing this. Judge, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I don't ever really want it to be that. So that's a big thing. And then I guess to go back to your question, like how did we double down on everything? I guess I kind of sidetracked there. So we launched accountability as a new value, which was big for us. Interesting. How did you launch that? Do you know what I mean? How was that communicated? Because I'd get why you'd be talking about that. Like, guys, you need to fucking hold yourselves accountable. <laughs> like This is yeah, important. Yeah. Like, how did you communicate that to people? Because... Yeah, not like that, not like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so we hired a head of HR earlier in the year mm. and, and she has made us a, a lot more value-led as an organisation and, and that's been massive for us because you can relate everything back to it. So we did a half-year presentation, we do a half-year mm. and end-of-year, so at, ha- at the halfway point we're like, look, we've been talking about accountability or yeah, we've, we've said to you all you need to get minimum of eight first-stage interviews and you need to hit minimum of 15k per month, but now it's time we we track that and we're calling it accountability, but I'm going to be accountable. And and it's a, it's a shared effort of accountability for us all to hit our targets and all to grow the company and all to be successful and hit our promotions and launching accountability has been really impactful for us, but you have to live it. You have to breathe it and you have to do that every day. And, and I have to do it and it has to come from the top. So 
so that was massive. And then moving forward further from there, we had to make unpopular decisions, right? So through COVID, everyone wanted to work from home or had to work from home. And then when they returned, there was the whole hybrid debate. And, and again, like we were kind of going with it because it was the easy thing to do when we were we were doing a bit flexy. And then eventually it just came the time where it's like, look, when, if you're not hitting your target quarterly, you're in the office full time. So Hitting your target is in the billing target. Yeah, yeah. If you're not hitting your revenue target, which is again, like is everything for us. We're still a small company. So if you're not hitting quality target, you're in the office and we want you to be in the office. And then we've made a real effort to promote our top billers in the sense of like, look, like you're working with an 800K biller sat next to you. There's a 600K biller, there's a 700K biller. Like you're working with some of the best recruiters in the world here. You should want to be around them. That's how you learn. If you want to have an amazing year and make life-changing money and hit your promotions, like you need to be working around the top 1% recruiters in the world. And I'm confident we've got uh, mm. 10 15 people here who are like world-class recruiters who everyone could learn from so we were big on getting everyone back in the office at what point was that when did you communicate that that was probably around january this year mm. so like q1 was a little slow for us as i think people were just into the market and we were a bit behind where i thought we were going to be and where we wanted to be which was hence me doing my billings and mm. then and then i was like look things have we've got to get ahead of this and we're going to double down on hard work. We're going to double down on accountability. We're going to double down on being present in the office and we're going to double down on BD and sales. And and it was like, look, you guys are good on the candidate side. You know that, but now I'm going to, now me and the directors and the other leaders in the business, we're going to make you world-class salespeople. We're going to make you world-class BD people. And, And we got all of the top, I think probably top 10 people in the company ran a training session on different methods of BD and how they do BD. And again, that's a reason for people to be in the office and it's all well and good saying, yeah, look, be accountable. But if they don't know how to do it, then there's no good. So we so we paired that with training and, and we did some, and there were some really, really good sessions that people delivered on, on how they do BD and everyone's a little different, right? So what I talked to you for earlier was my approach, but there was our top biller from last year, he's heavy on LinkedIn BD. So I guess that's kind of like how we doubled down on everything after Q1. You said um, unpopular opinions. How did you deal with those then? Was it if people said, Joe, that isn't what we said when I interviewed here. Like, uh, I don't want to be in the office. I, I want to you know, have more flexible time. Uh, obviously on a case-by-case basis, but are you just owning that and being like, well, actually maybe this isn't the right environment for you then? How do you navigate those? Because like you said, you said it's it's unpopular because, you know, on LinkedIn right now, yeah, on LinkedIn, you know, you start spouting that in the office all the time, all of that. I understand understand the cell and why people should be in. But yeah, you're going to have loads of people saying, Joe, that's so old school. It's outdated, all of that. So how how do you navigate that unpopular opinion? Yeah, and I mean, it's easier now, right? Because the track record's there and the numbers are there to back it up and it's like well hang on we've just grown 27 percent this year using this method so <laughs> i appreciate you saying that but like look i mean i read an article recently where i was talking about market leading recruitment companies struggling and laying people off and and we've been lucky we've we've had 27 growth this year but that kind of backs it up so it's easier now to say well we've just had a really good year doing this so we're not going to change it but at the start we were owning it and it was like look I appreciate that, but you've got a target and you need to hit it. It's a sales job. You start hitting your sales numbers, you start smashing your sales numbers. Like we'll talk about flexibility and remote and work from home, but until you're smashing your numbers, you, you're in the office and you're learning from the best. And mm-hmm. and from, again, not everyone wants to hear that, which is fine. There's There's a million work from home jobs now. But we're trying to get people to build 400k a year. We're trying to get them to change their life. We're trying to get them to make life-changing commission. And it took us a bit of a while to become unapologetic about that. But I feel like now we are, and now we're owning it. And the people that are here like it, and they love it. And we're not mis-selling this for anything that it's not. Yeah, no, that's what I write about it. I think that's that's where a lot of fans I've spoken to had the challenge with it, because they sort of just pandered to what their team wanted and then it's ended up being they weren't happy with what they were seeing and then they were just wrestling with it struggling with it so right yeah. now then if i hit my target journal i'm in metric search should we get in flexi time or now is that just gone now even if i hit my target if you're hitting target you're getting one you're getting one day a week worth from yeah home. it's the one day mate. Yeah. <laughs> do i get yeah, to pick yeah. the day yeah do i get you to get, pick the day no you get you get tuesday <laughs> or wednesday tuesday or wednesday yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no that's it but this is, this is what i mean right like you're not 
you're not doing someone a favor if you're just letting them work from home and they're not hitting their numbers just because they want to work from home. And if the business owner and the directors are annoyed about it and you're just going, oh, like, how do I get them back in the office? Like, they're not hitting their numbers, Mm. like they're costing us money. That's not doing them a favor, is it? Let's talk about, because I know this has been something that you've invested time, resources in and will continue to be if you want to continue to go on this growth trajectory talk to us about your journey in you know investing in the right infrastructure to grow metric search because i know that's been a focal point for you so i know when we're going through this the sort of org chart that you shared with me like you said i think you said what you've got how many leaders was it we've got 17 leaders and we've got six non-billers yeah so talk to us a bit about maybe why don't you talk to us about what was the first non-biller or how did we want to start building this side of the business, which is absolutely essential for you to scale? Yeah, it's interesting. So this was a big focus for, for us. And when I did, I think I did a podcast last year around November time, I was like, that a focus for us this year is building this back office. And that's been massive for us. So we've hired L&D, we've hired HR, we've hired marketing, uh, we've hired a finance director. Finance director is an, an obvious one, but marketing have come in and we're like wow like how did we get this far without having anyone in marketing and the same for L&D and same for HR and, and same for TA which, which we've hired again this year so they all come in and had an amazing impact but what we were doing previously is like we had Tim who was one of the directors who was just doing everything he was doing ops he was doing HR he was doing TA he was doing L&D and he was like doing a good decent job in all of them and it was ticking over and we did 10 mil in sales and we were like yeah this is fine like we're but then obviously to get from what 50 people to 100 people like you can't just do that with with one guy doing that so then we have made a real conscious effort to get really good people into all those roles this year and we feel really confident that's going to help us get from the 12 and a half million we did this year to, to 15 million this year and and beyond so how do you see that side growing then? Where else are you investing, which you deem to be important to keep going in the right direction? What what else is, is really key? Are you thinking you have to put more resources into marketing? Is yeah, it the, the HR side? I don't know. What, what is it that... Yeah, marketing is a big one for us. And, and part of the strategy for this year is really pairing marketing and sales. The fact that we've got this far by just having pure BD people and pure sales people and no real marketing is is almost crazy. So we're going to be investing a lot in marketing. That's I'm excited about that, and I think that's going to help a lot. And then I think the L and D and ops side. Again, my goal is to have an L and D person in every office, so we can onboard people consistently in smaller groups. So we've been doing groups of like eight at a time. And then flying the L&D person around the world to deliver training, whereas we should just have four people, one in each office, and you can onboard people throughout the year in smaller Mm -hmm. groups. And that's hard, right? And that's part of the problem of being a truly global business with four officers in like entering year five, like you don't have all these things to hand straight away, but we're working on it. That'll be a big one for us this year. And hopefully if we do this again in 12 months time we'll be talking and there'll be L&D and ops people everywhere so we'll see love it and then talk to me about like you personally like how you said you work 24 7 yeah for me personally I really don't like the term work-life balance personally um, I don't think it's helpful I think you know it's individual and it's you know down to you to work out what works best for you if that's being on all the time if that's making sure you switch off and you're present with your partner, your kids or whatever, or whether that's getting home, doing what you need to do and then, you know, working again in the evening, like it's, it's individual. I think it's so unfair for people because I'm sure you have it, Joe, people like fuck living Joe's life. He's working all the time. Yeah. Like, like you work all the time, Joe, like all that. Right. And I, I think, oh, where's the work life balance, Joe? It's you're so out of whack, like all this. So yeah. talk to me about yourself, like you managing all this because mate, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> I mean, I'm a bit weird in the sense, right, that I wanted to go into recruitment. Like, I didn't fall into Mm. it. And a few of my friends, they will take the mick out of me and say, like, you're probably the only person who, like, actively applied for recruitment jobs, which is funny. But I wanted to do it, and I I loved it, and I I still love it now, and I enjoy doing it. Like, I, I like going to any of our offices. I like my job. I like interviewing people. Like, I enjoy talking to clients. So... For me, like it is work, but I don't know what I would do it well. I mean, I'm sure I'd be fine if I wasn't doing it, but like (laughs) it's a good way for me to do stuff and I enjoy it Mm. and it's not a huge problem for me. And like, I guess I am switched on 24 seven and thinking about work a lot of the time, but for me, it's worth it, right? I'm 30, I'm building something, me and the other directors feel like we're building something really exciting here. 
I'm sure there'll be plenty of time for me to be switched off and golfing when I'm older. So like I'm comfortable with it and I enjoy it and it's helped us get to this point so far, right? And I don't know if we would have got as far as we had if I wasn't so driven. And and again, I probably don't spend as much time as I should enjoying it in the moment because I'm always thinking to the next thing. So like we had a great year last year and I'm proud of that, but I am now it's that's in the past and it's like, right, let's get California open and Florida and let's get 15 million. So I guess that's it. I mean, that's the way I choose to do it. But everyone's, as you say, everyone's different, right? And not everyone's wired the same. So I guess you've just got to do what works for you. Like talk to me about toughest day on this business journey so far. Like surely there's been like a dark, a dark day. What's been, has there been a moment where you was like, fuck, is this going to work? What's going to happen now? The COVID period is like just probably by far the hardest thing I've done because I think we were like seven, eight people. We just hired some new grads at the time. We just moved to a new office in New York. Like we'd launched in September, 2019. And then literally four or five months later, it's like, everyone's got to go home and I've got rookie recruiters working from home. And, and I've just gone from being part of Charlton Morris to being like the managing director of metric. And I'm out on my own. That was tough for sure. So how did you deal with that? What was going through your mind? Like, surely you was doubting yourself? Not really doubting myself, to be honest. It was revert back to type. It's like, well, I've got to start billing here. Like, I've got to keep the lights on. And I was, again, probably talking to every single person I've ever spoke to in my career. I was like, hey, look, I've just set this business up. Like, it's COVID. Like, please tell me you're hiring for something. And I, ended up, <laughs> I ended up filling loads of IT roles for pharma companies, weirdly, and, and managed to build pretty well. And, and again, it was just, right, I've just got to get my head down and do this now. But again, I always see opportunity in these down markets. And we hired some great people through the pandemic because no one was hiring grads. So we got a couple of great, I think we got a couple of experienced recruiters and a couple of rookies who, were, who are still with us now and have been great. And they're like part of the story and the whole COVID period and I guess same for every business, but the whole COVID period is like quite a big part of the metric DNA now that we got through that in New York, like the probably the strictest lockdown and the most expensive city in the world and hardest place to run a business. And like we got through that at four months old. So again, if you can get through that, we can get through the life science market being a little bit tougher this year. And that's kind of toughened us up a bit, I think. That was hard. And then I guess probably period of this year when it was q1 and we had a slow q1 and and it was like right hang on a minute like the market is getting a bit tougher and we're not gonna just fly for our targets like we did last year so so the year we did 10 million every single person in the company had their best ever year in recruitment which is almost Mm -hmm. i don't know it's probably the same for a lot Mm -hmm. of businesses but but that was like a real high and then it to start getting tougher was like all right well we're going to have to actually think about things a little bit more here and be a little bit more calculated. But touch wood, like that's it really. I don't think there's been any other like terrible days. So again, touch wood. I don't want to jinx myself. <laughs> and then you're doing a bunch of things that you haven't done before. Hiring HR, head of TA, marketing. So how, how are you navigating that? Are you you know tapping into people that you're getting advice from? Are you just, you know, you, you strike me as someone I'm... I'm for me personally, my sort of default is taking action. And I feel like that's sort of a theme here is like you see a problem or you're hearing things, it's like, well, I'm just going to crack on and take action. Yeah. But like, how have you, how have you navigated that? Because you're doing a lot of things for the first time. Yeah. And, and you're right. And, and it is what you say. Like, I, like, I am a doer, right? Yeah. Like, I want doers in the business. I get shit done. And that is, I mean, in terms of HR, like, my wife's the HR director. So, okay. like, I, so that was, that one's easy. What, like for I your just, business? No, no, no. Oh, no, right, okay. No, no, for no I wouldn't be surprised a lot of people work with their partners. So. No, no, I mean, maybe one day, but um, but no. So I like ask, she's, she can help me yeah. with that. So that one's a pretty easy one. But but I manage, I manage them in a similar-ish way to the we manage recruiters. Like we manage, we, we'd be really honest about our expectations. We set them clear targets. And again, a lot of this is just like genuinely being supportive to them. So marketing, I guess, and, and TA, like they're good ones. Like we tell them what we want, we're supportive, we're we're good to them. Like, and then a lot of, for me, a lot of it's just about being a good person and being authentic and mm. me not trying to pretend I know everything, right? So like with the finance director, like I'm not going to start telling him how to do the accounts or like mm. how to work stuff out. And with Jade in marketing, I'm not gonna be like, well, hang on, like you get off Canva, like let me have a go. Like, <laughs> I, I just say, I don't know. And be like, look, this is you, this is your you run this department, we'll give you the autonomy to run it. Like, this is the vision. I don't stress too much about it 
if that mm. makes sense. Like, you're not trying to act like you know all the answers. You're... No, no, no. And that's what we're hiring for, right? Like we, mm. we hire marketing, so I don't, I don't know it. And we hire HR, so I, I'm not HR director. So, mm. but it's fine. And like, again, I don't, I guess it's a bit of a weird one. Like I'd probably never struggle too much with having like imposter syndrome or worrying or being like, oh, I don't know what to do with X or Y. And as we get bigger, that might change and we might get to 200 people and I'll be like, wow, like this has outgrown me. Yeah. yeah, but I just never really felt that to date. So it's a difficult one for me to give you like a great mm. answer in the sense of like, this is what this was my plan for hiring marketing. No, yeah, I was just curious because I know yeah. sometimes people struggle with that. So, but I think you've answered it. Yeah, you don't try and assume that you know more than you do. You're hiring experts who are experts in that role. So, you know, you listen to them, you're going to be able to help them in different ways. So yeah, like I, I get that. So look, how do we, just curious to get your thoughts, like you come back to Nottingham, you're building, you know, a business, you have an office in Nottingham, like pretty mad that, you know, you're in this position, you're now could be a great employer for local people in Nottingham. I think this is what I love about recruitment. Like obviously I sent you my friend who I think could be great in recruitment. And I was just like so excited to tell him about it because when people aren't aware of like a career in recruitment and I think they'd be great at it and you tell them, it's such a fucking great industry. Like what a great, you know, journey that you're on and you're now able to create amazing opportunities for local people in your local area where you grew up, like unreal. Like, I just think it's like mega. Yeah, I love it as well. And uh you're, I guess maybe you, but you'll struggle to find anyone who loves recruitment more than me, but I think you might, have, you might have beat me to that, but no, like it's such a great job. It's such a great career. And when we set up Nottingham, our goal is to be the best company to work for in Nottingham. And me and a couple of the directors think we already are. I mean, like there's, there's not a ton going on here, right? But a job in Nottingham where you can make a hundred K a year and you're doing all the Barcelona trips, top villa trips, you can get a Rolex for doing a million, like, that's quite normal in New York and it's quite normal in London, but in Nottingham, there's not too much like that. So we're excited. And um, hopefully your mate who you've recommended to us, like I'd, if it'd be great for him if he's good and it'd be great for us if he's good. So um, I love the industry. It's changed my life for sure. And I think a lot of the people who work here are very grateful for not just metric, but also just working in recruitment and being successful in it. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I agree. feel really passionately about that as well. Love it. Well, Joe, look, amazing journey that you've been on so far. I'm, I'm really interested to see how things, you know, carry on evolving for you. But it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. So thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Really appreciate all your time. So um, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away. As you'll know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. We're a online subscription-based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams. We can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning, which they can access on demand. The thing that's really cool about what we're doing at Recruitment Mentors is that all of the people that your teams are able to learn from and the people that are delivering the learning content are people that are in role right now. They're billing, they're actively facing the challenges that your teams are, and a lot of the time they're amongst the top performers within their companies, which means your teams are going to be way more confident to learn and spend time on their learning when they know they're learning from people that are doing it right now, have been there and done it. It's nothing worse than feeling like training is not relevant and not current. The best place to find out more about Recruitment Mentors and if we can help you accelerate your team's performance is uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn directly, and I'd love to connect with you and, and find out if we can help you get more out of your people.